This is Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com with your hosts, Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. How about that? How about New York being red all the way? The New York Red Bulls drop a 2-1 defeat on New York City FC in the first New York Hudson River Derby, and it wasn't that close, folks. It's Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. Tonight on Seeing Red, Dan Dickinson and I will not only review the 2-1 win over the Blue Meanies, not only preview a very tough test uh, this Friday at Toyota Stadium in Frisco, Texas, against FC Dallas. Not only are we going to give our Bull and Cow of the Week and get to a whole lot of your emails and voicemails, we have tonight on Seeing Red the reigning MLS Player of the Week, the two-goal hero for the New York Red Bulls on Sunday, and that's Bradley Wright Phillips on the show on Seeing Red this very evening. All right, it's Sunday night. It's hot. It's a hot day, beautiful day, a beautiful Mother's Day. There's a big, big crowd at Red Bull Arena, officially announced as a sellout. And from the opening whistle, Dan, the Red Bulls took it to the guys from the Bronx. They, they really did. And, Mark, you're, you're so up on this result that you didn't even call them the blue team in the first reference on the show. You called them by their actual name. It's, well, it's not you, even going to bring you down to refer to them. When, no, no, no. No more Baltimore Syndrome. Um, it, it, it was a very dominant performance, especially right out of the gate. And four minutes in, you know, Lloyd Sam, who uh, had the, the fortunate opportunity of being paired with R.J. Allen, a defender who, who had just who? come back to soccer after last playing in 2013 and was making his first start and second appearance for City, um, you know, got to, got to take advantage of him more than once during the course of the match and wafted across in and the... the the gates opened four minutes into the game. Yeah, fantastic. Red Bull Arena, the, the majority of the of red Red Bull Arena goes completely nuts. And from then on, obviously, we have to talk about young Matt Miazga showing his youth and inexperience. Yes, the first yellow card, certainly dicey, but you have to change the way you play when you're on a yellow, and Matt did not. And he certainly had his hands full with Kyrie Shelton for the 36 minutes he was on the field. And credit to the Red Bulls, and I guess detriment to the blue team, Dan, but they were really unable to do a whole lot, at least for the rest of the first half, despite playing up a man for almost an hour. I I would say they were unable to do much despite being up a man for the entire game. I mean, (laughs) it's difficult to want to tweet things out like this, but it, it sort of looked like a fairer fight. But even then, you know, the midfield was still choking them. Um, the attack, you know, scored that beautiful counterattack goal in, early in the second half. Um, the defense held up with Carl Uemet coming in, you know, sort of cold and just having to adapt. And, you know, Jesse was even making weird formational changes to, to try and, you know, rein in the game late. He brought in Roy Miller as his last sub and actually went to five in the back um, mm-hmm. with three center backs just to try and, and close it out. So, um you know, the NYCFC looked very frustrated. David Villa, you know, was largely invisible, got subbed off in a frustrated manner. Yeah, uh, he did not look happy about that. He did not. Mixed Discarude, uh, you know, Jason Christ flat out said he wasn't great on the night. 
Um, and they didn't make him available to media after the game, so we, we won't know his opinion. <laughs> and, you know, just generally, it, it was a one-sided competition, and I think fans from both sides have agreed that the scoreline, you know, was not reflective of the way the game actually went. It should have been 3-1 or 4-1. Among the things I liked, I loved, uh, about the match, obviously, uh, from the moment the players walked on the field for warm-ups, it was loud. Mm-hmm. And the fans on both sides really, I think, understood as much as uh, Nick Fick was kind of playing down from a corporate standpoint, not really engaging with the incredible work that the Red Bull Digital team did all week, kind of instigating and poking and, you know, trying to, you know, get in a little friendly war of words over the Internet. Uh, The blue team, obviously, when when you've won once in 10 games, you're just trying to figure out how to win. And they played down this whole rivalry thing. But the Red Bull fans were were ready, and it was uh, uh, an intense night at Red Bull Arena, obviously. Um, Felt for Mike Grella, right? He was the one that was the uh, situational sub that came off. Uh, for Carl, we met, and he was so frustrated and so sad. I mean, talking about local boy want to do good in front of um, an entire stadium full of local fans, and he he frankly wasn't given much of an opportunity. He had to come off, and he was frustrated. So I, I liked the passion from Grella as he was coming off. Uh, the South Ward, although they certainly strayed off a unified message at times, for the vast majority of the game, they were in sync and loud, and I think everyone in the stadium can certainly uh, appreciate the South Ward. How about the, the phenomenal TIFO? Uh, by Dino Nerol and the and the Tifo crew, not not only the original message, right? The Big Apple uh, read uh, since day one, uh, read to the course since day one, but the tremendous uh, derogatory, dopey uh, Tifo pulled up to the rafters, huge uh, huge message and statement to to the entire organization in the Bronx, saying, you know, you're new here. And you don't look so good about it. And I think all the Red Bull fans really got off on that. Yeah, and I, I you know, we had talked for, for many months leading up to this game, Mark, about needing to make that statement and declare, you know, fire that shot in, in this battle between the new team and the existing team. And to have that TIFO go up with that many reporters in the stadium, that many fans in the stands and the TV audience watching at home, you know, it it said a lot. I, I love that churlish looking baby. <laughs> yes, the the churlish looking baby. Apparently, some uh, journos did not actually understand that was uh, dopey. Friend of the Wars. show Howard Megdal said it was a churlish looking baby. Friend of the show Howard Megda said uh, not Howard yes. Megdal. Howard Megdal got it. Yes, that's right. So, New York. Uh, great wing play, great distribution. Obviously, you can't say enough about Lloyd Sam all day. And and I want to talk a little bit about after the change, Sasha Kleschen found himself on the left side of the field. And you could almost sense his comfort level playing as a wing attacker. And the the perfect, absolutely perfect counter, which generated New York's second goal, I thought was a great illustration of how comfortable he is on the wing. Yeah, it was... I mean, the, the players had credited Jesse as having them train with 10... 10 on 11 situations to get them ready for the inevitability that they might go down a man, especially in a game like this. Um, and that, I mean, that counter was, you know, picture perfect, highlight real worthy. Um, you know, Sasha it, and, and 
you know, taking into account that NYCFC had left Sasha wide open on that wing. Yep. Um, you know, they they looked like they were playing with 10, and he just calmly chested it down, waited to pick his pass, and perfectly delivered it to Bradley. Obviously some nervy moments for sure toward the end of the match when New York uh, Red Bulls <clears throat> were trying to close it out. And uh, New York's Red was the chant from the South Ward as the match ended and the players came down and celebrated with them. Celebrated, they did a, a great lap of the entire stadium. It really was a fantastic night. And so when you think about what this it, this was probably the most meaningful May match that this team has really ever played, I'd have to say. It, it Certainly the most meaningful regular season match, probably since the Shield game at least, if not maybe even more than that one. Um, not that winning the silverware didn't matter, but just in, in terms of the game itself rather than it, it bookending the season. Uh, well, we can we, yeah, we can certainly uh, talk about. I do want to spend some time talking about meaningful matches at Red Bull Arena and meaningful crowds. Obviously, after the match, Jesse Marsh beaming, uh, confident, um, confident that his team was just the better side that night. Um, Dan, how did Jason Christ look after the match? Uh, he looked like he wanted to jump off the roof of the arena. Um, he was, you know, grasping for optimism, however he could feel it. But there was a definite error that he missed the sweet simplicity of being at RSL. Um, he is is clearly in over his head. Um, you know, he keeps talking about forgetting how hard it is to win points in this league or how tough it is for expansion sides. And as somebody who is basically a lifer, um, you know, he is a lifer in MLS. Played, I played I, from '96 I, until 2007. <laughs> took over as coach of RSL from 2000 to 2013. The only year he hasn't technically been in MLS was the uh, the year he spent in Manchester last year. I, I don't know how you forget something like that. And, uh, you know, I, I bet he misses Garth, and I bet he misses his diamond in RSL. And, uh, you know, yeah. I guess Wingard and Grabovoy weren't enough for, to keep him uh, thinking about home. Nevertheless, the win brings New York to 4-1-4. Four, four. You know, we, we're used to saying on the young season, the season isn't young anymore. It's a third over already. I mean, we are... Uh, the, the 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 most uh, frequent playing teams have already played 11 matches. That is pretty much one-third in the books. New York third in the East, uh, two points behind D.C. United and New England Revolution, although the Red Bulls have a game at hand on New England. So position yourselves well. They're 10, if, you, if you're thinking that way, they are 10 points up on New York City FC with a 1-6-3 and three record. So... That all said, let's let's put a bow on a fantastic, fantastic night for Red Bulls fans wherever they were at home, elsewhere with mom or in the arena. Uh, your bull for the first ever Hudson River Derby win for New York. You know, it's the the Bradley's the easy choice. The mm-hmm. two goals, you know, being there and and neglecting the third one that he should have had or passed. MLS Player of the Week. MLS Player of the Week. You know. Full, full credit to him, but I, I'm actually going to give mine to Lloyd Sam. I thought mm-hmm. Lloyd was fantastic. Mm-hmm. I thought the 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 primary assist on the first goal, the secondary assist, really just starting that play on the the second uh, goal for the counter, um, the way he just dominated down that that flank the whole game while he was in. Um, you know, I don't think Lloyd's gotten enough credit around the league for his contributions this year, so I'm going to go with Lloyd Sam. 
I will. Uh, I don't like correcting co-hosts on seeing red. It was actually Kamar Lawrence that started that play by taking uh, the ball away. Yes, he had the tackle, and then Lloyd started he, moving it up the field and yes. saw Sasha. You know. He, he yes, for sure. For the point I'm trying to make is that Kamar Lawrence also had a phenomenal he match. Did. He was all over the place. He was up and down the flank. He was making important tackles in the middle of the field. The few times that NYCFC even you know actually got into the box, and he helped um, dispossess. I, I believe it was Mix to help start the scoring play for the second goal. Many, many fans calling out Kamar Lawrence. For me, I'm more of a traditionalist. If Bradley Wright Phillips is on the team of the week, and Bradley Wright Phillips is the player of the week, and Bradley Wright Phillips is on seeing red, Bradley Wright Phillips is the bull of the Fair week. Enough. So, uh, might you have a cow, sir, uh, that, that doesn't involve uh, any young Polish-American de- defenders on the national Oh, team? if he gets a red card, I'm not allowed to name him? Well, I, <laughs> I guess I got nobody. No, I, I, I will give it to young Mami Ozga. Um, You know, it's the second time he's gotten sent off, and the second time the team won after he got sent off. Yes, he's undefeated when he gets yeah, sent off. Is it? No, don't do that more often. Um, you know, I think he he was probably just a little bit too emotional on the night. Um, you know, Kyrie Shelton is a, a quick guy, and he he got caught in two bad tackles. And uh, you, I understand it, but you can't do that in a game like this. Especially, again, you pick up the early yellow card, you just have to change the game. And now we won't. Uh, we won't see young Matt uh, again until after the U-20 World Cup because he was, I believe, going to be held on to by Jesse through Friday night's game. And then he'll be off. Matt, young Matt, excuse me, uh, we wish you all the best in New Zealand. You've become a very important player for the Red Bulls. But on this night, on this very meaningful night, you are uh, our cow. I don't know how cows moo in Poland, but nevertheless. Um, so... Let's talk about the crowd before we start previewing uh, Dallas and going to other things. For me, when you talk about top five Red Bull Arena crowds, uh, in terms of the quality, in terms of the passion, in terms of excitement, in terms of meaning for the game, you had mentioned that you felt that this was more important than the Shield game. Um, are there other games that you bring to mind with the understanding we just talked about this briefly before the show? Well, that, I mean, that was important. So if we're, if we're talking about crowd and energy and atmosphere and all the yes, rest of that. Yes, yes. Um, yeah. Top five. Top, I, I'm going to be hard-pressed to name a full five, but um, the RSL 4-3 crazy finish mm-hmm. um, from a couple years ago, I think that was 2013, um, that, that was pretty remarkable. Um, I'm trying to think. The the Arsenal game was was atmospheric, although you know occasionally library esque, yeah. and uh, one that people aren't going to naturally include because it wasn't a Red Bulls game uh, okay. was the U.S. Women's game. I believe it was last year. Might have been the year before. Yes, when Abby Wambach when Abby Wambach broke the record. Because if you want Red Bull Arena to be really loud, replace the twenty five thousand people who are there when it's normally sold out with a uh, audience that is largely young girls. Who want to scream at everything? Well, I'll tell you that on May 30th, I'll have another chance. I, because I will be there. As will I. As will uh, me and my you nine daughters complete team who will be screaming their heads off along with their parents. Here's my top five. Uh, Shield game. This is, these are in no order. Uh, Sunday, for one. Shield game two. Um, New England playoff match 
last year, even though New York wound up on the wrong end of that uh, result, I thought it was an amazing, intense game. I think the first league game in Red Bull Arena, although not a sellout, Limpair gets the one nothing win against Chicago Fire um, in in 2010. I think that, that you definitely could say that. And then I'd have to say also not a Red Bulls game, but the MLS All-Star game in 2011 with Man U. Again, the match itself was not necessarily... Um, anything to write home about it. it was a 4 nothing win for Man U but the the crowd and the match ever was into it there were a lot of people experiencing Red Bull Arena for the first time as I guess there was on Sunday as well frankly mm-hmm. let's let's be honest yep. um, I thought th- those five uh, definitely stand out for me although your, your choices were terrific as well do you know who James McLean is I, I keep hearing his name wasn't he the guy in Die Hard no, that was John McCain. Oh, was he the senator who uh, ran with Sarah Palin? No, that was John McCain. Oh. Hmm. Let me tell you about James McLean. James McLean is a 26-year-old Irish winger slash attacker who has been rumored, now that we're less than 24 hours, I believe, for the, for the close of the first uh, sign, the international signing window for MLS, he... Uh, Former Sunderland man was there for for two plus seasons, seventy appearances, eleven goals for them. Derry City, obviously a lesser club, eighteen goals, and played for Wigan in 2013. Not only was he at Red Bull Arena for the match, there's a video of him floating around social media working out in a full Red Bulls training kit. So, you know, whether um, whether Mike Grella or whether Salzizo, this might be the backup help international signing that the Red Bulls may uh, be about to pull the trigger on. It would be very interesting if the strongest indicator of a player signing was a Facebook video of him training in <laughs> the club's workout gear that, I, from what I was reading on social media, he had bought himself. It wasn't like the team gave to him. Uh, I see. So he, he pre- maybe he was at the uh, the autograph signing that, last that week. And just, he, he bought just got, excited he got his $75 worth at the Adidas store and got in line <laughs> and just you know headed home and, and wanted to work out in that. Those, those training tops that Adidas make are really comfortable when you're uh, lifting weights. McLean has also played 25 times for the Republic of Ireland, scoring four goals So uh, since 2012. So he's you know, 26, working toward the, the peak of his career. And um, it'll be certainly interesting to see if this actually comes to fruition. Um, doesn't necessarily have traditional Red Bulls ties, as we've come to expect from Gerard Houllier, but... Uh, certainly without Salzizo, at least through the summer, this could be a nice, I'm thinking relatively inexpensive in terms of an international player who might be able to come in and, and make a difference on the left. So just to keep in mind. Okay, let's talk about FC Dallas, who will be the opponent Friday night, Friday night football on Univision Deportes at 9 p.m. Eastern. FC Dallas is a very good team. They are 6-2-2 two two on the season. For 20 points, they are tied for the Western Conference and shield lead with the Vancouver Whitecaps. They got housed really badly in a shocking loss to Colorado on April 10th, but they haven't lost since then. They've gone 3-1 and one since then. They've scored 17, allowed 13 for the season. And they have really interesting kind of lineup. Freed Dan Kennedy 
who has moved over to Dallas from Chivas USA. Uh, they don't post shutouts all that often. Uh, the lineup last week for a 2-1 home win against LA Galaxy included Atiba Harris, who has been on six, count them six, MLS teams, Javon Watson, who started so strong last year, as did Dallas. They're defensive midfielders, and, and Dallas usually lines up in a similar 4-2-3-1, which apparently is all the rage now. Hmm. All the rage in MLS. I, I mean, I, we didn't see this lineup a whole lot. I guess you can call it a 4-5-1, but we didn't see this lineup a whole lot. I feel like the last couple of years has been in vogue. Both of D- Dallas's defensive midfielders are homegrown, Kellen Acosta and Victor uh, Uloa. They obviously, um, they are one of the teams, rather, that have signed that Argentinian number 10, Moro Diaz, and Diaz, after coming back from a significant injury, is heating up. Assisted on both of Dallas's goals last week, assisted on two goals for FC Dallas the week before, so he is red hot. Obviously, uh, you've got Castillo, who plays on the right, four goals and five assists on the year, and you have uh, young American Hollingshead on uh, on the other side, two goals and assists. The man up top leads the team in scoring, and that's Blas Perez, the Panamanian that has uh, really terrorized MLS defenses while he's been healthy and in uh, five goals and an assist. He's on pace for his best MLS season since joining the league in 2012. And oh, by the way, off the bench, they have Tesho Akindeli, uh, the Canadian who is the 2014 MLS Rookie of the Year with three goals to his credit. So this is a team that is very quick. They're very talented. Technically skilled, both Castillo and Moro Diaz, in addition to Bradley Wright, Phillips, and Kamar Lawrence, were members of the MLS Team of the Week last week. Um, they are hot. They have not lost all that often. Again, lost only two of ten matches. And this is the kind of play that we've seen for Oscar Perez teams the last uh, year and from Dallas a little bit more, where they come out of the gate incredibly hot and they wind up not quite making it to the finish line, stumbling across and, and kind of going out early. Although it, it, it must be said that this team went out to Seattle last year on the away goals tiebreaker. I believe they tied both matches in the playoffs last year. Mm-hmm. But they conceded to Seattle in Frisco, and that saw them out. So they're they're very tough. New York is coming off a very emotional win, and this is going to be a very, very tough assignment there. It is, and one of the things to keep in mind about FC Dallas is this is a very young team. I just uh, was looking through the lineup, and nine of their uh, top 16 players by minutes this season are under, or either 25 or under. That includes Fabian Castillo, that includes yep. Tesho, as you mentioned, um, includes Mara Diaz. So they've got speed, they've got energy, um, and you're playing in Dallas. It's May. It's going to be hot. We know that. <laughs> the, the team's traveled down there and struggled before. Um, but they, they have shipped off goals. They have not had a terribly strong defense as of late. Um, uh, from the looks of it, they've given up at least one goal in each of their last six games. And those, mm-hmm. those two losses were not only the 4 nothing to Colorado, which was at home, yes. um, but also a 3-1 loss at Portland uh, the week prior. So, and Portland is kind of meh. Yeah. Um, yeah. And you know, the teams that they uh, have faced in this recent stretch, they beat Toronto 3-2, uh, you know, Toronto. Mm-hmm. Um, they... they did a return leg with Colorado and was only able to tie them, although there was a red card to Blas Perez in that. Um, you know, they, they toppled Houston. Houston's been struggling a lot. That was a 4-1. And that L.A. win last weekend, or this past weekend, yes. um, 
you know, they had to find those two goals very late because L.A. was leading for the majority of that game. But they did. I mean, They did, and, and, and credit to them for doing that. So they have a lot of ways they can cut you up. They've got a lot of good goal scorers, and it's going to be a, you know, a test for the defense, but it's not an impossible task. Not an impossible test, but considering that they'll, and, and I'm saying this, they'll be without young Matt Miazga. True. Is, is, has anyone found Ronald Zubar? Do we know where Ronald Zubar Are is? Are you looking for Zubar? <laughs> I'm looking for Zubar. Uh, I'm looking in the wrong place. We were told that he was ready to go and that he didn't make the 18 again. Yeah. Uh, what can you do? So I, I think it'll be a, a fun match to watch. It's going to be on Univision Deportes. So um, turn that SAP button and start drinking because you're going to need it. And uh, fun to watch for. I'll be there. That's right. I'm you are excited. I am. Uh, I'm taking my son to Dallas, Texas. So that you can to drive watch. to Frisco. <laughs> so I can then drive to Frisco, 35 minutes, and watch the match. So I don't anticipate a large away support uh, on a Friday night, but nevertheless, this is what we will do. So, uh, you, so your prediction for New York at Dallas? I'm going to go two one Dallas. Yeah, I, I just think given. Um, Given the, how hot this team can be, I'm talking about Dallas, and given the fact that this is a letdown game, and given the fact that New York will be short, right? They, it's a, only four days, or I guess five days. They'll have four days off in between Sunday night and and Friday night, um, and the travel. I, I really don't see New York coming out on top. I I, I think. It's it's difficult because they're clicking offensively quite well, but make no mistake, while Dallas might not be a strong defensive unit, they've given up 13 goals in 10 games. They're not bad like uh, New York, and they're not. New York oh, is no, not no, going to no, have no, this, no comparison at all. New, New York uh, Red Bulls are not going to have this that same type of opportunities that you're going to see um, this coming week against Dallas. I mean, it's just not going to happen. So, I, I, it's hard to. It's hard to think that this team, which has not been shut out on the season yet, uh, if my memory serves, that is correct. Uh, that is correct. Would get shut out, but I, no, I don't. I, I don't want to agree with you for the sake of agreeing. I think I'll call it a, a two nothing win for Dallas. Mm. I just think they're going to have too much. Um, I would love to be proven wrong, folks. And uh, I know there are some of you out there that believe me to be a bit negative. Um, I've done this long enough to know that sometimes that works in your favor. So uh, I'm going to call it 2 nothing for Dallas. So when we're back on Seeing Red, we're going to have the reigning MLS Player of the Week. Two goals against City on the weekend, and that's Bradley Wright Phillips. Take a break. We'll be right back with Bradley. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. We're back at Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, backheel.com. Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson, after a fantastic experience, uh, our next guest not only moves himself into the upper echelons of the scoring list for this franchise, but makes the MLS best 11, and today was named Player of the Week in MLS. It's Bradley Wright Phillips. How are you tonight, Bradley? I'm fine. I can't complain. <laughs> Certainly not after a performance <laughs> like Sunday's. Let's start here. Why don't you? Uh, we're very curious. We talked about it earlier. Can you rank Sunday's atmosphere at the stadium with some of the other big matches that you've had played since you've joined the team? Um, yeah, it was up there. I think Sunday, 
you know, that comes to mind is just, the first thing that comes to mind is um, the best atmosphere. But I think that's because of the emotion, you know, in the first Hudson Derby. I'd say Kansas City playoff game last season was up there too. The atmosphere was amazing. But because of the, yeah. um, the actual uh, situation, the what it meant to the fans and just, you know, the first Hudson Derby, it's a history in itself. And it's, to win it and how the crowd were, it was amazing. I think for me, it's the best atmosphere I've played in since I've been here. And Bradley, you had talked uh, leading up to the game about the importance of the Derby for you personally, having had a day or two yeah. to decompress and look back on it. How does the result itself feel? The result feels so good because obviously going up into the game, you, you plan for the game. You obviously want to win. You want to play well. But there's, there's a little bit of doubt, you know, in your mind, you know, say if it does go wrong, you know, you don't want to disappoint anyone. You don't want to play bad. And for us to, to pull off a win, you know, at front in home, at, at home in front of our fans and in the fashion we did, you know, going down to 10 men, showing the character we did, I think everyone, you know, involved in the club should be very proud. Bradley, after the match, you said, uh, I'm the kind of player that doesn't feel like they get people out of their seats. I don't want to be the star. I just want a championship ring. But you've been around this league for a little while now. And being the only designated player in a year with a ton of scrutiny on this club going into the season, do you think you'll ever uh, be able to truly be just another part of the team? I feel like that's how our team is. That's how we pulled out our performance, you know, um, just over the weekend. There, there are no stars. And I'm not saying that's a bad thing, but I just feel like nobody in our team right now is a tier and reef. There's nobody that, you know, can bring that to the table. But what we are is a, a good team. We we work for each other, uh, you know, we'll dive for each other on, on the field. And, and that I think that showed, especially in the second half of our game. When I'm saying I don't want to be a star, I'm not I'm not lying. I'm not trying to say it for, for any other reason. I just know <laughs> what stars are. Stars are Messi, Ronaldo, Thierry Henry. Obviously, we know, you know, if we're all being honest, that isn't me. I'm, a, I'm the kind of guy, you know, I try and get on the end of good plays. I'll say this, you know, till I, until I die. I'm the kind of guy that tries to get onto the end of good plays. And I'm part of, you know, I'm just part of the puzzle that is New York Red Bulls. And, I, and I'm happy to be that part. You know, if I, if I get credit every now and again, I'll take it. But I, I do honestly think I'm not a star. I just, I work hard for my, for my team and my friends. So speaking of that team and being a part of the puzzle, you know, the first goal that you scored uh, after the fourth minute got nominated for goal of the week. But I think a lot more yeah. people were talking about that second goal, that, that quick and fluid counter when you guys were down to 10. And I know that, you know, I've heard you say it over and over, how, you know, you're just trying to get in position. But take us through what happens on a play like that when, you know, um, Kamar Lawrence makes that tackle and, and you guys are springing into a counter. What's running through your head and how are you communicating with Lloyd and Sasha on a play like that? I think it comes naturally, you know, it comes down to training and, and just knowing your players. In the beginning, at first, obviously, when New York City are on a break, you're praying somebody will make a big play and make a tackle, and Kamar, Kamar did just that. You know, I feel he was outstanding all game. After that, I think it, you go into a mode that is natural. That's where me, Sasha, and Lloyd are, are most com- comfortable on the field attacking. You know, so when it goes to Lloyd, um, at first, I feel like Lloyd needs me to make a run. But if I'm being totally honest, I was very tired. So I didn't really want to make a run. <laughs> I didn't really want to make a run in behind, you know, because I thought once I get there, I'll probably lose it, and and so on. And he played a good ball. He played the intelligent ball to to Sasha, and what that did was, you know, just give me a little bit more room. If you watch my run, my movement, you know, it's so different from the first goal. And my first goal, I'm just I'm trying to get loose from defenders. 
on this one, I just literally have to run straight into the box. You know, I trust Sasha to get a good ball in there, and he did. I just had to keep my eye on the ball and, and, and put it in the net. But it was a great, it was a great counter attack because that's what we needed to do in the second half. That is exactly how we needed to play, and we and we 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 done it to perfection. Bradley, it feels like Lloyd has elevated his play this year. Obviously, he had a very strong uh, 2014, but it's so far in this young season, uh, it seems like he's taken his play to another level. Can you talk about your relationship with him on the field a little bit, and uh, are you seeing that as well from him? For me, Lloyd's been our best player. I think, you know, even in this game, obviously I scored, I scored two goals, so I get the plaudits, but for me, Lloyd was a man of the match. You know, he had a part to play in both goals, a very big part to play. You know, if he doesn't do what he's done on both goals, we don't score two goals. And even on, on the chance where I should have passed, Lloyd, he's the one that played, me, played the ball through to me. I think since the beginning of the season, he's been on fire. And, you know, if he's playing like that, we, we play better. You know, he's one of the players, Jesse, you know, wanted to, to stand up this season and, and get more from him. And he's just, he's doing just that. It's funny, Bradley, because, you know, we always award a bowl of the match and, and, Mark went with you, but I had actually gone with Lloyd. So I don't feel so bad anymore well, you having sent. you on the show. <laughs> you got sense. You got sense. You could have lied to me. You, got you, know, you know the game. You know the game. <laughs> um, speaking about the midfield a little bit more, you know, um, the, Sasha obviously got to move from the center to the left with the formation change. Um, did you feel that he was helping the team a little bit more out wide than he normally does in the center? Or is it just that he's a, a flexible player who can play in both? Yeah, I feel like it's, it's more the second comment. I feel like Sasha is a is a very creative player. It's obviously it's for me it's more of a compliment to me that he can it's not he's not being subbed out that he can go onto the left. You know, obviously his best position is creating, and I feel that's in the hole. But yeah, he can he can do just as much damage from the left, and that's what the game required at the time. And he 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 showed a mature performance. You know, he he went out there was involved in the goal, the second goal, the match winning goal, and. You know, he done his job for the team. I, I, I go back to it for the team. I feel like anyone, you know, in our in our squad, not just the players that that were out there, anyone in our squad would have done the same thing and, and give it their all. And that's what Sasha did. Bradley, after such um, an emotional, frankly, win for the fans, you as the team was very uh, upfront all week about winning this game for the home fans. It was an emotional match, and now. With a short week, you have to go on the road against one of the best teams in the league. Yeah. How are you working to keep that emotional level high uh, going on the road in front of a very tough opponent? I think it comes down to taking the positives from you know the, the big game we just played and bringing it into you know a game against Dallas away from home. Obviously, tactics will 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 differ a little bit, but you know we always go out to put the um, to put the game on our terms. And you know, put the, the opposition team on on the back foot, and we'll be no different. Obviously, they got a lot of attacking um, threats, but if I'm being honest, I feel like we can we can handle that. You know, we we're working on not conceding goals and 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 scoring more. And I'm, you know, we'll go out with the attitude to to do that just when we get there on on Friday. So speaking about Friday, Bradley, and I think we, I've talked about this with a couple of your teammates before, you know, this is only the second time the team's going out to the Western Conference this year. And there's this occasional narrative that pops up normally on social media with people arguing with each other that the, some people feel that the West is just such a better conference than the East, so, you know, 
Every team in the West is strong. There's so many weak teams in the East. As a player and as somebody who talks to players on lots of these teams and gets to see them week in, week out, do you sense that there's a big gap in quality between the conferences, or is it pretty much even, and it may just be that the results are misleading? I feel like, uh, sorry to cut you. I feel like the West is obviously, yeah, it it is very strong. But, you know, the last team to win the the championship was a team from the West, and I think it's it's something that's going to be, you know, said regardless, you know, that's where the, the, the trophy is at the moment. I feel like there's some good teams over there and there's some good teams here. But I feel like, like I said before, if if the last team to win it was over in the West, it's going to be, I feel like it's the strongest, this the strongest side, you know, the strongest conference. But, you know, I feel like we've got something to say this season, you know, quietly, or we have something to say this season. I, do, I think it comes down to a matter of opinion. Bradley, later this summer, uh, the Red Bulls will be playing not only uh, the Premier League champions Chelsea, but also Porto. You obviously had a had a special experience playing uh, Arsenal last summer. What what do these ma- what do matches like this mean to you and to the team when you get to go up against uh, the stor- storied clubs of Europe like this? Um, I'll be I'll be all the way honest with you. Right now, it's the last thing I'm thinking about. Yeah. Obviously, when they turn up to the Red Bull Arena, you know, we want to prove that we have a, a good league here. We have good players and we can stand up against them and, and you know, throw blows just like they do. So at the time, you know, we're playing, you know, on pride and, and representing our league and, and what so have you. But right now, I don't really think about it. I don't get in too many conversations about it with the players. and You know, it, it is what it is. But on the day, we'll be trying our best to win and, you know, show them that we, we have a respectable league here, you know, with some good players and, and good teams. So one last question about Dallas before we let you go, Bradley. Um, you know, okay. Dallas has been pretty hot this season, uh, really strong yeah. attack, really fast and young team. And they're going to be coming at, you know, a defensive line that's been good, but you guys are obviously going to be missing Matt Miazga. Um, Ronald Zubar is still sort of a question mark. So what are, what's your take on how the Red Bulls defense has been holding up and, and what you guys are looking out for uh, trying to keep Dallas in check? Um. I feel like we, you know, we have we have the squad to you know replace Matt. Um, anyone in our team is replaceable, first of all, and I feel like we have the squad to replace Matt. They they obviously pose a a big threat attacking, but it's it's nothing we're not used to. You know, we played LA Galaxy, we played Kansas City. Uh, they had Dom Dwyer. Uh, he had set the most goals in the league. You know, it's nothing the boys are not ready for. You know, when we get there, we we listen. Well, a few days before we listen to what Jesse has to say, we take it in and we work on it on the training pitch and. We go from there, and I don't think anyone in this—we're not afraid of anyone in this league. So whatever they got to bring, you know, we'll we'll stand up to it. Bradley, before we we let you go, just one last question: After walking off the field after tying the all-time single-season scoring record last year, Kansas City, you told a national television audience that you needed to work on your finishing. Correct. How is that going? Five goals into the year. Um, it's okay. I feel, what do I have now? I don't know how many games. I think it's five and nine. It's yes. better than a what? It's maybe one and two ratio, a little bit better. Um, there was one game, only one game I've been really disappointed with my finishing. I think that was, I think it was Colorado. I missed mm-hmm. a chance from very close range. Uh, I wasn't relaxed in the, in the situation. I didn't think about hitting the target. I, I totally panicked, you know, and it's something I don't, I don't like to do. I don't do normally. I feel like it's been okay. It's been okay. I haven't had as much chances as last year. I think that's down to my movement. I'll, I'll be getting used to, obviously, a new team. But so far, I'm happy. You know, the, My ratio goals to games, 
I look at it as a, an important thing, and, and so far I'm happy. Bradley Wright Phillips wears number 99 for the New York Red Bulls. Bradley, all of our listeners and uh, Dan and myself wish you all the best Friday night in Dallas. My pleasure, guys. Thank you for having me on. Your emails after this, it's Seeing Red. We'll be right back. You're listening to Seeing Red with Mark Fishkin, Dave Martinez, and Dan Dickinson. Back on Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup, Mark Fishkin, Dan Dickinson. New York is red. New York is red. Third segment, you. It's all about you. Here's how it works. You can call us anytime, day or night. We're standing by. Not really. Someone's standing by. Call us at 973-602-9161, or you can send us an email anytime at seeingredny at gmail.com. First question is from our friend Eddie Mendez in Brooklyn, and he's asking about the possibilities of how the narrative might have changed if the outcome were different. Hey, what's going on, gentlemen? It's Eddie in Brooklyn. I hope you enjoyed the victory as much as I did. I kind of wanted to talk about Jesse Marsh's approach uh, to the match on Sunday. If you remember uh, Lawrence's yellow card in the 59th minute, it came off a corner kick. Max McCarty takes a shot at the top of the box. It gets blocked. And then NYCFC breaks on the counter. It kind of reminded me of uh, Real Madrid against Juventus in, in the Champions League, where Marcelo takes a shot, and then he's left kind of a hollow hanging, uh, hanging out to dry. They can see the penalty, and they end up losing the match 2-1. A lot of people are happy that we're playing this free-flowing attack of football, that we're aggressive. But I kind of wanted to get your thoughts on, have we conceded a second goal being that aggressive? Uh, you know, what what do you think the narrative would have been? And also, just to correct myself, I, it wasn't a corner kick. It was just a blast at the top of the box. Uh, anyway, again, I hope you enjoy the victory and uh, look forward to hearing the show. Okay, so New York's still being aggressive at 2-1. They concede as Beretti, and it's 2-2. I mean, listen, you can you can talk about what could have been, but I, I have no idea even how to think about what might the narrative have been. Well, I, I think if if it is 2-2 going into those you know, last 15, 20 minutes or whatever it was, um, you know, I think maybe some of the sub-strategy from um, Jesse changes. You don't necessarily bring on Roy Miller in the hopes of closing it out with five in the back, but maybe you bring on Anatolia Bong or, or somebody else attack-minded and, and try and push for for one last goal to regain the lead. I think if it does truly end in a draw, you know, the, the narrative is probably more optimistic towards city. Um, they came onto enemy soil and left with a result, even though they've been struggling, um, shows character. The, the players in the locker room wouldn't have been giving a thousand yard death stare. Uh, <laughs> Medi Bellucci looked like he was lost at sea. <laughs> so, you know, they, they might've been a little happier. Um, and I'm I'm sure the the traveling fans would have been much more cheery. Euphoric. They would. I yeah. mean, that's a mass. Yeah. I mean, they uh, would. That would have been amazing. The, the rule of thumb is always a point on the road is fine. So that would have been. It. And especially if you're giving up a lead in a rivalry, even if it's a newly developing rivalry. But if you give up a lead in a match like that, that is the you know cliche draw that feels like a loss. But luckily, we don't have to play revisionist history because the scoreboard read two one. The scoreboard read two one, and obviously if. The Red Bulls had wound up losing the game. You would have had City steals points, and you know they came out on top, and they play for ninety minutes, and you know, all that good stuff. I, I think that's, I think that's all completely uh, acceptable. We uh, we have another call. This is uh, a first time caller. I think he's talking about television ratings, and that's 
Uh, Dan Cavello. Here's Dan's note. Hey, guys. It's Dan Cavello. Um, if my voice is going in and out, it's because I'm running a marathon as I do this, not just walking to my car. Um, so uh, Dan Dickinson and I agreed today, uh, which is rare for us, on the ratings being very disappointing from, for MLS. Setting aside the ratings for now, in our lifetimes, and for me that's the next probably 100 years, can we ever expect ratings like the Rangers had Sunday, which I believe was like a 6.4? I mean, they're so minuscule now. I wonder what our expectations should be. Not even solving the short term, long term. How far or how high can the ratings even go since we're starting at such a small place? I'll hang up and listen. First time, long time. So when the team is playing the night that a well-supported team in in an established sport is having a pretty important uh, playoff match, an elimination game, obviously you're going to see folks paying attention to that in particular. But, Dan, uh, I I, I didn't see today. What actually was the rating for the match? Uh, According to SportsTVRatings.com, Major League Soccer's broadcast on Fox Sports 1 of New York Red Bulls versus New York City drew a .1 rating with 233,000 viewers. And how does that – I'm curious how that compares to other – Fox Sports 1 rated games, because I don't think it's that different from how they've been doing. No, it's not, which I think was part of the disappointment. Um, I tweeted this out earlier, so let me just scroll back through the yes. three hours of arguments I had Going about this. back in time. Uh, NYCFC versus Seattle, which was two we- uh no, last weekend on Fox last Sports 1, yep. uh, did 212,000. So, so 10% th- so greater rating. Uh, well... Ten percent of nothing is still kind of nothing. Uh, New York for, uh, Red Bulls versus L.A., which was on ESPN two uh, two weeks prior, yeah, uh, one or two weeks prior, uh, did two hundred and sixteen thousand. And NYCFC versus Portland, which was supposed to be on Fox Sports one but had been bumped to Fox Sports <laughs> two, uh, did only seventy seven thousand. Now, for comparison, since I have the table of ratings in front of me. Um, the World Nine Ball Championships on ESPN2 from 11 a.m. to 12 noon on Sunday morning did a slightly better 235,000 rating than the Red Bull City Derby. Okay, so I, I guess the question, I think there are a couple of issues, and, and there was a very healthy discussion on Twitter today talking about why, right? First of all, Fox Sports 1 has not yet found its audience to begin with, right? Sure. And you talk about this match having a small... A small audience, and I, I don't know if they – I don't believe they do uh, local markets for a cable station like that. They usually – I believe that's usually reserved for um, for broadcast stations, I believe. I haven't worked in the television side for a very long time. The point is it's a very small rating, and but it's consistent with how MLS on Fox Sports 1 has been doing. I don't know what happens to get this – rating certainly to a 6.4 in the New York market that you would see for the hockey game. Obviously, you have two markets to pull from. I had thrown out, with the help of our friends, the Red Bulls Optimist, that uh, the 2,000 
uh, baseball World Series, baseball World Series, the 2000 World Series between the Yankees and Mets were one of the poorest watch in history because you're only drawing from a single market, and most of America hates New York. So uh, there is very, very little interest outside the city for something like that. I don't know what to tell you other than time. It's just time. We just need more time with these fan bases growing up. And yes, I know it's been 20 years. I, I totally understand that. But you're still talking about relatively small uh, but hardcore fans of this league, and not just soccer fans, because we know that there are millions of soccer fans in New York that wouldn't be caught dead watching MLS. Um, so, and it's also Mother's Day. It's also nighttime and Mother's Day. So it was you know, a little bit of, a, of a, a perfect storm, if you will, but they did the best they could. So I'm going to revisit the conversation very briefly. I know we're, we're yeah. running out of time, but um, all of those excuses are very valid. Although um, Rangers caps certainly didn't seem to be suffering from Mother's Day. And, and even more so than Rangers caps, the, the real winner of the night was the NBA playoffs on TNT because that was Houston versus Clippers. Um, they did $5 million. You know, yeah. I, don't, I don't know if Mother's Day necessarily uh-huh. blocks Fair the enough. destination viewing. I will acknowledge Fair. that, you know, the, the Rangers will certainly take out a certain chunk of it. Um, and, and it is certainly a growing league, but, um, you know, there had been talk about a large part of why NYCFC was brought into this league was to build this rivalry, to make it happen, and to, you know, help with this new TV deal. Everybody kept pointing to the, the timing of the new TV deal versus the entry of both Orlando and City. Um, and... You know, if it's the, if the case is that the rest of the country doesn't care about New York versus New York rivalries, if Jets Giants never you know draws any interest or or Rangers Islanders or any of that isn't isn't something that people necessarily want to watch as a neutral from other parts of the country, why did I'm not even going to go there? Nope. Um, but what I'll say is this: um, the the league certainly needs to start putting the pedal down on this because yep. um, that growth has to start coming likely as part of this TV deal, or else, you know, we may, we may see things change very rapidly. And I, although I, I think it's, I, I'm sorry to interrupt. Okay. I think, I think though Fox Sports 1's ratings, if I'm not mistaken, have been larger for MLS than MSNBC. I, I think well, they're about equal, but yes, I, I think it's certainly on a general upward trend, but it may be a very slow slope. But in any case, what I think the league really needs to do at this point um, is focus on making MLS more of a destination for out-of-market fans. Because one of the things that came up during the conversation today that I thought was very prescient is that most people, even among MLS fans, most MLS fans aren't watching games that aren't their team. If I'm a Toronto is, fan... Is there, is there evidence of that? I, I think there is, but if the, it may if be the ratings, If the ratings on national TV are pretty much the same week to week... Is there evidence? I think it's more likely evidence that it's just a very small universe of fans watching. And I think that that it has... I don't believe it's simply replacement fans. I think there's a hardcore, small, hardcore group of MLS fans, which among you and I and the listeners of the show uh, are members of. And, I mean, I'll watch anything that's on. I'll watch... I'll watch four or five MLS games on a weekend. Sure, but, if, yeah, just but but we're the. I mean, again, this is about reaching out to non-MLS fans already. Absolutely, the Liga MX I get and it. APL and all that. But I, I will point out that uh, Portland, Seattle, in the same time slot, did uh, 309k. So there right. is variability. So that's significant. Yeah. Um, and so I mean, it it certainly needs time to grow. But I think the league 
needs to start that outreach a lot more to people who are not necessarily in the, the core market. Fair enough. We could we could debate this for the entire we segment. Could. Here's Mario Romilio who uh, sits in Section 201. Hello, Mario. Hey, fellas, we'll try to keep it brief because you referred to my emails as novels in the past. Mm-hmm. I was unable to attend the Hudson River Derby due to family commitments. Derby. I love my family, but I wish I was a bachelor on Sunday. I've been to RBA for some electric matches, but that's the way this one came across on TV. It was amazing. Thanks to all the supporters who attended and made it special for the boys on the field. You represented us extremely well. Here's a fact. New York has always been red. The problem is so many people never bothered to notice. All those fans who just began to support the blue team as if Metro never existed, you've missed out on a rich history, both good and bad. What a shame. Vamos, Metro. Keep up the awesome work at seeing red. Cheers, Mary Romillo, Section 201. I think that's a wonderful sentiment. Then there are two questions that kind of answer each other. First, uh, Brent Gamut writes, what do we do at left mid with Zizzo out for a while and only Grella and Richards available? And what can we do in central defense? Zubar doesn't seem to be an option anymore. Perrinell is a card magnet. Actually, Perrinell's been card less for the last few matches because he's been on suspension with his next yellow, and he has been good. And in fact, if Perrinell avoids a yellow this coming week at Dallas, he is then off of the... uh, the red card watch for that, so he's getting there. As is Miazga, can we met an AJB step it up of call to start? We seem dangerously thin in those areas, and we already have a player from both these positions out of commission. Can we afford to wait until the summer window opens? And Brett, as a BC alum, writes to me as a BU alum, go Eagles. Oh, you clever man. And then... The question, the last question of the night um, comes in from Mike Franzone, who writes about James McClain coming to New York. He seems like a great option on the left and would fit in New York's price range. If you click on the link, it shows him working out in Red Bull's gear. Mike, also from Section 201. My home section representing. Way to go, guys. Nevertheless, um, let's talk briefly, just quickly, about the defense, because I think we've answered the left mid question, yep. especially if McLean comes in. Who do you anticipate starting in central defense this I week? I think if Zubar's ready, um, it's him. Uh, I've just looked at the disciplinary report, and I don't see Perrinell on the caution oh, maybe, accumulation maybe that, anymore. Maybe, so I think he's, maybe that was, yeah, maybe that was last week. Although Jesse Marsh made a, a cute comment uh, during the post-conference thing, which is... Uh, he doesn't believe that defenders should ever get something called good behavior because uh, <laughs> that's not what they're there for. So I, I think it'll be Parnell and Zubar, or if Zubar is still somebody we're looking for, um, maybe Andre Jean-Baptiste, who's looked okay with the, the baby bowls. Um, yep. But, I mean, really, those are the only options at this point. So, Well, or we met. That's true. I, I thought we met looked good. I think the problem is I've heard from uh, some of the people in the press box that he doesn't necessarily have a ton of speed on him. And if we're playing a, a speedy team like Dallas, uh, you might want somebody who can be a little bit more physical like uh, Andrew Jean-Baptiste. So we'll see. Fair enough. Thank you so much for the emails, everybody. And thank you so much for listening to this episode of Seeing Red. We will be back next week to preview the Memorial Day match, home match against the Philadelphia Union, which undoubtedly will go slightly easier than this week's visit to uh, Toyota Stadium in in Frisco, Texas. For Dan Nickinson and Bradley Wright Phillips, I'm Mark Fishkin saying thank you so much for listening to Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup. We'll see you next week, folks. This has been Seeing Red, the New York Soccer Roundup on Backheel.com. Listen anytime on iTunes, Stitcher, and SeeingRedNY.com.